0: There are consequences to our prayers. Sometimes our prayers turn out how we would hope it to turn out. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's the great news about prayer is that God knows what's best for us. He knows how our prayers should be answered. See, in all of God's goodness, sometimes we don't see what's happening throughout our entire lives. We cannot see the future. We cannot see what's going to happen through this season. We cannot see what's going to happen even in the next minute or two. But God does. And so when it comes to prayer and the consequences of prayer, that's where we trust God with. We trust Him in the consequences of our prayers, not in our prayer itself. I think if we were to answer our own prayers and how we wanted to, life would be miserable. Because it wouldn't turn out as God's best in all of His goodness. Life is made up of actions and consequences. And we deal with that all the time. I'm so glad there is the action of prayer But also, consequences that come with it. I think when we pray the right way and and how Jesus tells us to pray, when we pray in the right way and when we understand who we're praying to, then the consequences of prayer is not on our shoulders, it's really on God's. The outcome of our prayers is up to Him that we don't need to worry about. Sometimes we carry so much burdens because of our prayers that we think are not being answered, because it's not being done the way we want it to. But we're going to learn from the life of Jesus Christ and how He prayed and how the consequences of prayer makes an impact for our future as well as what's happening today. In the book of John, and you can turn, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there to the book of John, chapter 17, you also have your notes that are in your bulletin, and you can write this scripture down, John chapter 17, and it's found in the New Testament. In fact, I'm going to read the entire chapter of the book of John chapter 17, and we're going to learn from Jesus Christ how he prayed and what what we can do and, and why he was praying like this. Now, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are eyewitnesses on the account of what was taking place with Jesus Christ uh, around the time where, most of the time, where His ministry was happening. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three authors who were part of the, the disciples of Jesus Christ, they also were able to see what Jesus was doing closer than anyone else because they were with Him. And we call those three books of the Bible the Synoptic Gospels because they're similar. That's why when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can read almost the same things. About 60% of those three books are similar. Yet, sometimes it'll be worded differently. And and some people will say, well, that means the Bible is inaccurate because there's discrepancies with Scripture. No, it's not. It's kind of like this. If all of us went to the beach and we saw uh, someone get into an argument and then the police came, and then they asked all of us what happened we would probably all have different stories but the same event because of the eyewitness that's what happened with the with the disciples it's not because the bible is inaccurate it's because of the eyewitness account from these three people Matthew Mark and Luke now John his book is completely different and in his book he writes about Christ's love and and him being the son of god and and who Jesus is. And John was very close to Jesus. So this is not just any old author that comes along and says, I'm going to write about Jesus Christ. This was somebody who was really close to Christ. He was in the inner circle of Jesus Christ. He was with Jesus throughout all of his trials. He was with Jesus throughout, uh, even when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was betrayed, He was there when Jesus was being beaten and nailed to the cross. He was there when Jesus said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this is your son. He was talking about John, the author of this book, and he said to John, Behold, this is your mother. So Jesus had a close relationship with John. John also wrote the books of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So... You can already see that this person is not just somebody who comes along the scene and says, I'm going to write something too. No, he he wrote these words down that we're about to read for a specific reason. And this is the only recorded prayer, this prayer, that are, that is found in the Bible. John wrote it. And I'm so glad he did. And I'm going to read John chapter 17. And then we'll continue on. But it says this, Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now what Jesus is saying is, there is eternal life. But many of us wonder about heaven, and we say, Oh, I wonder if I'm going to heaven. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I did this. And so, am I not going to heaven? And so we worry about that. I just want to make it crystal clear. Don't worry about heaven. Worry about your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you love Jesus Christ, He'll take care of your eternity. We can't do that on our own. But Jesus Christ can, because He overcame death. So just focus on Jesus Christ Heaven is great, great place, but it's not where you go, it's who you're with. Jesus Christ will be there. It's like some of us grew up in the most ghetto homes, but because of how tight our family was, it was a wonderful place. Some of us go on car trips, and you may not have the best car, but because of the people you're with, friends or family members, and you're having fun, it makes the difference. So, yes, heaven will be great, but what is even greater about heaven is that Jesus will be there. So focus on Jesus, not necessarily heaven. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. In verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name, which means that Jesus made God's name obvious, or He made known God's name and evident For all to understand, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. And he's speaking of his disciples. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. What Jesus is saying is, He's not just praying for the entire world. He's not praying for the world system. He's not praying for the worldly ways. That's what He's saying. I'm not praying for the the ways of the world. I'm praying for people. And so He's praying, and all are mine. uh, And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep me through your name those whom you have given me, and that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. "...those whom you gave me I have kept." And he's talking about his disciples. "...and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." He's talking about Judas Iscariot. And if you know the story about Judas, Judas was the one who betrayed Christ. Remember, he, he, he stole from the treasury box of Jesus' ministry. He also uh, sold or was paid 30 pieces of silver. He received a bribe of 30 pieces of silver... To betray Christ so that he could he would show the religious leaders where Jesus was and so he he betrayed Christ and so Jesus is talking about him and people are saying so what happened to Judas then because if you read the story of Judas he betrayed Christ, took the 30 pieces of silver yet was remorseful gave back the 30 pieces of silver, and then he hung himself. He committed suicide. And so people say, well, what happened to Judas then? How come Jesus said that that Judas was lost? If he followed Christ, how could that be? Is he in heaven? Is he not? Well, Judas, although he followed Christ and did the works of Christ, did not love Christ. He didn't have that relationship with Jesus. He did the things of God follow Jesus Christ as far as the ministry part goes but he never loved Jesus. And I wonder how many times when I used to come just come to church just for the sake of doing the things of God but I never loved Jesus. I think we can fall into a routine attending church doing the things of God but that we never fall in love with Jesus. It's possible. Judas did that. And I pray that we don't become like that but that we fall in love with Jesus, that we get to know Him more and more. In verse 13, But now I come to you that these, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. That word sanctify means to set apart. So that's what sets us apart from the ways of the world. It's God's truth. So Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And as for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus chose to set himself apart from the ways of the world. That they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray... For these alone. So now he switches gears from praying for his disciples, and watch who he prays for, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's saying, I'm praying for the future people who will believe in my name because of the disciples' words. That the ministry that will be carried on through the disciples, people will come to know me and you as their God. And so over 2,000 years ago, catch this. Jesus prayed for each and every one of you. Specifically, He said, For those that will hear of My Word in your timing in the future, may they come to know Me, just as how now I know you. That they may be one as you, Father, are in Me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent Me. And the glory which you gave Me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. Father, he's concluding, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known You, and these have known that You sent Me. And I have declared to them Your name, and will declare it that the love with which You loved Me may be in them, and I in them. John records this prayer. And we have Jesus' actual prayer. This is just before He was beaten. He's on the precipice of being beaten, flogged, ridiculed, put on trial, nailed to the cross. And Jesus prays to God. He says, Father, the hour has come. Every single one of us will have an hour that comes. Jesus is speaking truth. Because there's one thing that this world is looking for, and that's authenticity. The world is hungry for authenticity. There is a cultural thirst for truth and authenticity. Why do you think years ago when MTV came out with a a series called The Real World, millions of people tuned into that? As time went on, everyone started to, well, most of the the, um, executives and, and producers started to turn towards what we call today reality TV, And so they came up with all these different shows so that people would see reality. Now as time went on, because reality shows were being like real, you know, uh, not that great, they started to script reality TV shows so that it was as real as you could script it. So that they could still sell their TV spot. And so they had scripted reality TV shows. And we still have that today, scripted. Reality TV shows. Because everyone is looking for authenticity. That's why we have uh, popular shows that, like American Idol or America's Got Talent that they look for people who are just, uh, for lack of a better word, and I'm not saying they're no one, but they look for people who are not famous. And then they try to make something out of them. Because people are drawn to that kind of Television entertainment. That's why there's there's shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and and Dancing with the Stars. You have just this normal people that can be rock stars uh, on YouTube. Usher, the pop star, discovers this one kid named Justin Bieber, and now the teen sensation causes Bieber fever all over the United States and the world. No, act. Some of you are like, yeah. So, <laughs> you, because people love. To see reality. They don't want things polished up anymore. Will Smith, the actor, he said this. If you're an actor in an action movie, but there's no green screen behind you while you're acting and performing and being filmed, it's not going to be a good action movie. Because you put that green screen behind, and if you know technology, that you can put whatever background you want. You just key out that color. You put whatever background you want, whatever superheroes in the background or whatever enemy you want to defeat. That's why Tom Cruise can blow up from a helicopter and survive. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but that's not real. Sometimes we watch movies and we're like, Wow, how'd they do that? Really? It's all special effects. People are looking for authenticity. We want it to be real. And Jesus is as real as you're going to get. And in this prayer Jesus brings to us, He's showing us that life is real. There's no scripts in life. You don't just make this stuff up. See, I think when we understand what we're going to talk about in this prayer that Jesus has, it'll give us so much more confidence in the consequences of our prayers. Jesus just brings that authenticity. If you had a sports memorabilia type of, uh, like a, a signed uh, autograph, uh, like a, a basketball from LeBron James, you need the certificate of authenticity for it to be really worth anything. Otherwise, you can go Walmart, buy a ball, sign it yourself like LeBron James, and sell it. But no, people are looking for authenticity, and Jesus brings that. See, Jesus is showing us how to pray that we're not to pray out of guilt and shame. Some of us pray out of guilt and shame or, or because someone said to pray or, or, oh, I didn't pray today. We pray out of guilt and shame. Jesus prays out of hope and encouragement and faith. And He says, Father, the hour has come. See, even us Christians will have an hour that comes. The question is not if that hour comes. The question is when. We will all have an hour that comes. We're all going to encounter that hour. Life is full of pain and suffering. And we hate to talk about pain and suffering. We all want the good stuff. We all want the prayers to be answered, the healings to take place. We all want that. And God still does those things. But what happens when it doesn't turn out how we want it to? What happens when there is suffering or pain? It's like when we were young, our mom would always say, Make sure you guys are careful and watch your little brother. He was six years younger than me. My older brother was six years older, so I was in the middle. My sister was one year older. And so when we would play outside, my mom would say, Now be careful and watch your little brother. Some of you do that with your children. Watch your little brother. And sometimes the older brother or sister doesn't like that job. And so they just tell him, Don't get hurt. (laughs) But it happens. And my brother would get hurt and we would all huddle around and he's bleeding. And nobody wants to tell mom. Who wants to run home and tell mom? So we just kinda are you okay? Are you alright? And he's like dizzy and and then they say, children, go tell mom. I'm not telling mom. No way. He said, You gotta tell mom. Okay, so you run home, mom. Oh, you know D, the youngest one, he he went, went, well, okay, C. <laughs> so when okay, you know how his knee was like this before? It now it now it's like so. Like, but he's okay, he's okay, mom, but uh, so what happened when he was with the bike, the wheel, and the, his knee with the clicking and and so we figured, you know, since you're going to town, maybe, if you don't mind, taking him to the hospital, <laughs> just because I you know I, I, he's okay though, he's okay, and of course, Mom would go ballistic, blame us for not watching him because he did something of a stunt. And I think we got to understand there's going to be pain. There's going to be consequences of the things that we do. Life will hit us hard. There is suffering in this world. And Jesus is very truthful. He knows we live in a fallen world, a sinful world. We're all sinners that live in a sinful world. We live in an imperfect world. And so Jesus as he's praying to God he says the hour has come. We will all have that hour that comes, the day when our employer says you're released. You're fired. You're no longer needed. The day when you get the doctor's report and says it's cancer. The day when your spouse walks out on you. The day when you're separated. The day when your children go astray. The day when the checkbook is empty. The day you go backwards and go into debt. We will all have that hour. The day when our, our our life is not where we want it to be. We will all encounter that. We will all encounter days where our children get hurt. Lost of a loved one. People come against you. Most of us pray, Lord, may not those things happen. And we pray, God, may we never suffer. Protect us. And that's great to pray. But the reality is, there is suffering. There is pain. We will all experience it. Even as God's children, we will experience pain. Well, does that mean that God doesn't love us? No, no, no. The reality is that we live in a sinful and fallen world. And it's great to pray those prayers that we'll never suffer, and we hang on tight to that kind of thinking. But let me tell you, if you think that nothing's gonna, that life is not going to have some painful moments and some times of suffering, then when things happen, we'll blame God we we'll say, God, it's your fault. You did this. Why didn't you stop this? You could have prevented this. And then we turn to other things rather than to press into God. Jesus turns to God first on the hour in which he was at the end of his life, knowing what was going to happen. He turns to God, not from God. And he says, Father, the hour has come. See, Jesus knows the best place to go when there's those dark moments and it's to the Father. We're all going to encounter our moments. That hour will come. Where do you go when you encounter pain or dark moments or suffering? Where do you go? Some of us go to food, shopping. Some of us go to another person and gossip. Some of us go to rage or anger or revenge or we want to badmouth someone else or we turn to drugs or alcohol or denial of God. Jesus doesn't pray, Father, get me out of this. He says, Father, Father the hour has come. He understood what was taking place. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, Father, get me through this. Get me through this. He wasn't running away from it. He knew what he needed to do, and he said, Father, get me through this. Enable me to honor You well. Enable me to suffer for You well. Enable me to bleed for You well. Enable me to be beaten for You well. It's a harsh prayer that the hour has come. Because many of us, we would say... I'm suffering. Blame God. Turn from God. No. Jesus says, honor God through your suffering. There's a way to glorify God even through your suffering and your pain. That people will see what you're going through, that they're going through the same thing, and then they'll say, wait a minute, what's the difference? You can say, I have a Father who is in heaven who loves me, and He is helping me through this pain. And people will say, boy... I didn't, I didn't know I could go to God for those kinds of things. And you'll say, oh, yeah, He's a great God. Yeah, but if He's a good God, why would He do this then? If He's a good God, then how come I feel like this? Why am I going through this? No, no, don't run from God. Turn to God because we don't see His goodness in the moment. But I've seen people as they persevere through it with God and they keep glorifying God even through their most difficult times, the toughest season, the darkest moments, that when they're done with it, they look back and they, they say, wow, God, I could not see that coming. Now I see what you're doing. You are, after all, good. But we don't see that. People will see you going through whatever it is, and you're suffering well. As the Bible says, suffer according to the will of God. That there's a way to suffer. There's a way to go through pain that can glorify God. You know what Jesus was doing? He was doing this and saying this to us. You're going to suffer. Don't waste your suffering. Even Jesus himself did not waste one moment for God's glory. He even suffered for the glory of God. Did you know that even though you go through painful moments and go through dark times and go through whatever obstacles may come your way, it's an opportunity to glorify God. It's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. Many of us are in an opportunity right now to glorify God. Well, how does that happen? Well, when you glorify God, what happens is people start start to see what's happening in your life and how God is strengthening you, empowering you, giving you peace. They won't understand it until they get to know God. And we may never understand it until we persevere with God. If you're going to suffer, which we will, redeem it for Jesus. As Pastor Charlie was talking about this week in the, the youth camp called Solid Ground, that's a part of what they're going to be learning. That life is not simple, but there is a God who will help through life, help us through life, even as teenagers. That if you're going through dark times, dark moments as a young person, glorify God through that. Yes, you may be grounded. Yes, you may not be able to go to the movies. Yes, you may not have this or that. But even in that, you can glorify God and show people how good God is. This week, Wednesday, uh, Pastor Brandon Ahu will be speaking and and will bring a a powerful message for all of us. And if some of you know Elwin Ahu, Pastor Elwin from New Hope, actually they just planted New Hope Metro out of New Hope, O'Ahu, with Pastor Wayne Cordero. Uh, Pastor Elwin's son, Brandon, will be speaking. And so we're looking forward to that. So I would invite all of you to be here and be here with our youth. We're going to have youth around the state and support them but to allow all of us to let our younger generation know that there is hope. There is a future that God gives to us. And in the midst of pain and suffering, there is opportunity to both grow and glorify God. Jesus was perfect. And He wants us to understand that the moments that we go through, the dark moments, He'll be with us through all of that. See, the way we respond to whatever situation comes our way will ultimately give us the consequences of our prayer. And Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. You can write this in your first point. Here's what Jesus was saying and what he did. Accept the hour when it comes. Accept the hour when it comes. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to have pain or grief or suffering. You're going to have that. But Jesus said, okay, okay. It's going to happen. Accept it that the hour has come and continue on with God. Ask God to allow you to get through it in such a way that honors Him that you don't waste it. That God would do something in you and through you. And through all of it, do something magnificent through you. Something that would glorify Him. It's interesting. Jesus prays for Himself and then He prays for His disciples. In other words, what He's saying is, many of us don't pray for ourselves. We don't. We, people will we'll ask people for prayer, or people ask us for prayer, but then if someone says, Do you need prayer? No, no, I'm good. We all need prayer. Sometimes we only ask for prayer when things aren't going well. You know, when, when people ask us for prayer, yeah, I, yeah, I can, yeah, pray for me. This is not happening. This is going bad. My family, this and that. And that's okay. But we don't always have to pray when things aren't going well. We can also pray when things are going well. We can pray and thank God for the things that He's doing. We can pray and thank God for how He's been able to help us persevere or giving us strength. In fact, right after service today, we're going to have some time for prayer. And we I don't think we've done this on a Sunday morning, but what we're going to do is we're going to have our prayer team here and our pastors and, and some of our staff, and we're just going to invite people up for prayer. It's a great way to end this series. We've been learning about prayer, talking about prayer, And so this morning, we're going to give all of us an opportunity to pray. Some of you are learning about prayer, so if you go for prayer, you can even pray. And the prayer person that is standing there can just kind of lead and guide. But you can exercise what you've been learning throughout the past couple of weeks, and you can pray. If you come together with husband and wife, then you can pray for one another. But let's end well in this series. Let's do something about it. Let's do something with what God is teaching us. And for some, you know, you may rather be with a woman, counsel, a woman prayer person and men with a, a, a male a prayer person, and that's fine. And In fact, that would probably work out best. So if you're a woman, then go to one of our women that are praying. If you're a man, then go to one of the men. We'll have couples up here, married couples, so you can come as a married couple. Or uh, if there's a married couple, then, of course, the man or woman could come to the married couple. But we just want it to be where you're comfortable with the person that you're speaking with. And then we just pray for one another. And we're going to do that at the end of service. John 17, verse 1, he says this After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Jesus accepted it. The second thing we learn is, How can I glorify God through difficulties? That's what Jesus teaches us how to glorify God through difficulties. Sometimes we don't glorify God through difficulties. We all mess up. We all go through that. And I think the best question to ask ourselves before we respond or react to a situation, the question we should ask ourselves is, how can I glorify God in this? Someone says something to me. I want to snap back. How can I glorify God you in this? I like punch that guy in his mouth. How can I glorify you in this? I like snap back at my spouse. How can I glorify you in this? How do I glorify you? That's the question we can ask. It continues in 17.1, Glorify your Son so He can give glory back to you. Pray that God will allow us to glorify Him in turning obstacles into opportunities. And the last thing, Jesus was teaching us to walk in unity with God and people. That unifying factor that Jesus was all about being one with God. John seventeen twenty two and 23, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, focusing on prayer does not solve most of the problems we face. but our prayers should be focused on the fact that God is father that's the whole focus of our prayers that God is father jesus always addressed god as father his final prayer for us is to know how much he loves us that's why he says this this becoming one in god and with people that's important some people will email me or, or call me and, and, uh, because other churches will be doing things and they'll say, hey, you know, we're going to do this together and, and do things in unity. And so we wanted you to be a part of it. And sometimes we will, sometimes we won't, only if God says so, because every church has an assignment. Here's what unity is unity is not when every church gathers together. That's not unity. Unity is when everyone loves Jesus, because Jesus is the center to everything that we do. Now, I'm not saying it's bad for churches to gather together. Great. It's a good thing. But the best way to be unified is when we love Jesus together. That's what Jesus was praying. He was saying that they may know you, that how I know you, that they would know me as you know me. He's talking about a relationship. When that is in unity, everyone who believes in Jesus will be in unity, regardless of what church you attend. Because Jesus is the whole reason why prayers really work. Amen? And close your Bibles and put away your notes. I want to read this story as we close. And this happened in 1992. It starts off in 1992, and then I'll I'll go through it. This is about a year after I received Jesus Christ. And... I was already living here, and I would visit my friends on Oahu and family. And I would talk to them about Jesus. You know, when you first come to Christ, you tell everybody about Jesus. You tell them about the sermon. You give them all the points. You say, oh, the pastor was talking about this. Oh, you should hear this story. It was so funny. You give them CDs, DVDs, tapes, CDs, whatever you can give out. Podcasts. You even invite them to church. You tell them everything. You open the Bible. You show them all the scriptures. I was doing that. After a while, everybody was like, enough already. Stop preaching to us. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Why? No, I no. if you stop what you're doing, and you come to Jesus, you'll be set free. They're like, you're the prisoner, not us. And so they would say, we don't want to hear it anymore. And so I prayed to God. I said, God, you told me to tell everybody. He said, okay, <laughs> you did enough. He said, you, you did as much as you could do verbally. And then he said this, live it. Don't speak it. Live it. Then when they see your good works, they'll glorify me in heaven. So as the years went by, in fact, one of the couples that I would talk to that got irritated, little by little, God started to soften their hearts. And as time went by, once in a while, they would call me up and they would say, Hey, you get ins with God, huh? can you pray for us because, you know, we're going for this job or we're going to buy this property, whatever it was. And so I would pray with them, and I thought that was a wonderful opportunity. And as time went by, they would continue to do that. Now fast forward 20 years, two weeks ago. I get an email from this woman who was struggling in that beginning to tell me, enough, and so this is what they write. And I'll, I'll read you the emails, the back and forth emails. It says, Hi, Pastor Sheldon. Hope all is well with everyone. I am going to need your prayers again. It looks like I might have cancer. I might have cancer in my liver, gallbladder. I had a follow-up CAT scan to check how I'm doing from the last cancer, and my liver ducts are dilated. Dilation occurs due to gallbladder stones or cancer. I am hoping I have gallbladder stones, but the signs and symptoms don't suggest that. Please pray for me. I go to get an MRI tomorrow, and then we'll see the doctor to find out what is going on. Only my husband and I know. Thank you. I respond, I will definitely be praying. Keep your spirits up and your focus on Jesus. He has the strength, peace, and healing power to get you through. Okay, I'm going in for my MRI in about two hours. I won't know the results for a couple of days. I will keep you posted, and I will stay focused. I know He will give me what I can handle, only what I can handle. But that is the scary part. I am praying. The MRI came back, and my doc thinks it's a tumor. He is spending... He is sending my CT scan and MRI to a specialist at Queen's. Keep praying. Especially pray that it didn't spread. Liver or pancreatic cancer is the worst type to get with the worst prognosis. Thank you for your prayers. Please pray for my husband. As he is having a really hard time, I haven't told anyone yet. I want to see what the specialist says. I respond back. This is a scripture in the Bible that speaks of Jesus being the one who is able to heal. 1 Peter 2.24 He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds, you are healed. Pastor Sheldon, I just grabbed lunch and a man in front of me had a shirt on that had this printed on the back. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It was a nice reminder that whatever his plans are, I just needed to have faith. Awesome. Well, praise the Lord, Pastor. My doctor called and he and a specialist went over the MRI and CT scan and as of now, they do not think it is a tumor but some type of benign, not harmful, defect. I will be closely monitored every three months and get blood work to make sure I am okay. I talked to my husband and for us, this is a second chance. A second chance for us to refocus on what is important in life, to slow down and spend time with our family, I do believe he has healed me of whatever I may have had because normally when you have a dilated intrahepatic duct, it usually means liver cancer. We are going to sell the homes and land on the big island and may even sell our other home in Kailua so that I can quit one of my jobs. We are going to spend more time with the boys as they are growing up way too fast." We are going to make praising and knowing God part of our routine. And we are going to do for others that cannot do for themselves. Make sure you and your family always get your checkups and screening tests. It is important to catch things early on. Thank you again for your prayers and a reminder of how great our Lord is. My response, I cried for five minutes, thanking God for His goodness. I am so grateful for His healing power. What a bold decision you and your husband are making. It will speak volumes to your family and your boys. there's anything you need us to do, just ask. Very proud of you both. I'll keep in touch. Thank you, Pastor. I cried on the way home while driving and praising God in my car, lifting my hands up, and people were looking at me like I was crazy, but I didn't care. I am actually listening to your podcast right now, and it is great to hear you. You crack me up. I will be listening to it at work from now on. It is so sad how quickly people forget about God, and I know it breaks His heart. I am just glad that I have this chance to change my life. Isn't God good? The consequences of our prayers, regardless of if there's healing here or healing when we are with Jesus, the consequences of our prayers should glorify God in everything that we do. And yes, we would love the healing here, but God knows what's best. And not to be disrespectful in any way, but for those of us who have lost loved ones, we may not see God's goodness right now but we will, as time goes on, stay close to the Father because prayer really works. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father, we thank You for who You are and the things that You do. And in all Your goodness, we may not see everything. In fact, we don't. But You do. Lord, I pray for those who have never made a connection with You. Maybe they've never said... Yes to You being their God and they've never given their hearts wholeheartedly to You. I pray right now, Lord, that they would make that choice to love You with all of their hearts. And if that's You this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. And in this prayer, you're giving your heart to Jesus Christ in exchange for His life and His His plans for You and, and eternity with Him in heaven. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me of my sins. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again to give me eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you just said that, if you just said that prayer with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to pray alongside of you and support you. Could you just lift a hand, real briefly? And in doing so, you're saying, "I said yes to Jesus this morning for the very first time." Good. Anybody else? God sees your hand. God bless you. Good. God sees your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus. God sees your hand. He sees your heart. Good. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray for those that said yes to you that from this moment on, they will remember how great You are and that they'll follow You. That they will see You as their Father. That they would be one with You through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us that regardless of how we pray, and we're, we're all learning, but that we would refocus on who we're praying to. And that's You, our Father. That we'd always run to You, not from You. And that our focus should be falling in love with Jesus. And so I pray that we all would draw closer to you as we see the consequences of our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen.